from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Happy to be here with you this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora here on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. That is the live feed, and that is how you connect with the show Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. If you're not a member, become a member now. Members have amazing privileges. Number one, it's free. Number two, you get to chat with me in the live chat room during the show. And number three, you are the only people that will get sent an email when the show goes live. So as soon as the show goes live in the morning, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, as well as the impromptu shows that we do throughout time, you will be sent a message to all your devices through email, and it'll let you know what's going on. It'll say, wake up call is live. Would you like to listen? You click yes through your email. It brings you straight to the live feed, and you don't have to do a darn thing after that except for sit back and listen, whether you're at work, at home, at school, wherever you may be. So make sure that you're tuning in and that you become a member on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. On today's show in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA, we will start the show off with Sean Pinkerton, the new head coach of Oswego State Lakers women's basketball program, and then we will move forward at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time to Eric Cerrone, OCC Lasers men's basketball head coach. At 10 a.m. is Papa Joe's Picks, where we will go through college football's championship week, as well as Florida State playing an extra game here on their season because they lost one during Hurricane Irma. And we will round out today's show with Through the Looking Glass, proudly presented by Looking Glass Events, with a deeper look at a trending topic, as we always do. So, first and foremost, getting started in Oswego with Sean Pinkerton and the Lakers. Sean, how are you doing this morning? Good, thank you, Dan. And and Sean, first and foremost, uh, to look at this opportunity with Oswego, what felt right for you to, to take this and make this the next chapter in your coaching history and, and coaching career? What was what felt right about Oswego? You know, it was several factors uh, for myself and my family. The first uh, and, and foremost was coming back home. Um, you know, we talked about it as a family last spring and what we wanted. Um, I have two little kids. Uh, I've got a son who will be three in January. Uh, My daughter turned one last month. And all my family lives between Ogdensburg, New York, which is kind of way, way up north, um, about two hours north of Oswego, and then Rochester. So that puts us in the middle of my entire family. Uh, My siblings have a bunch of uh, little kids. um, So I've got a bunch of nephews in between the ages of my son and my daughter. So uh, that was that was the biggest priority for us. And then just in addition to that, for me on a professional level, it was really important that I was somewhere where we were capable of competing against top competition. So we're playing in a league as strong as the SUNYAC. And uh, you know, I wanted to be somewhere that I felt was set up for success. So a place that's really attractive to recruit to and uh, has the capability 
capability of being one of the perennial powers in a conference uh, as strong as the SUNYAC. So when you look at, like you said, coming home and having that opportunity, not everybody gets that opportunity, and, and, and if it does come, it, it may be a long road to get to that. Just what you could say about what it feels like to be in familiar ground, and, and we will get into the SUNYAC and, and whatnot to follow, as you had mentioned, but just what familiar ground feels like, and, and like you said, to have two young children that are three and one, just what the importance of that is to not only be familiar to you, but to be able to raise them in familiar territory that is near and dear to you, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that was that was our non-negotiable, right? So, so when my wife and I were talking about what it is that we wanted moving forward for our family, the non-negotiable was we were going to be somewhere that our extended family, that, that my siblings, their children, my parents, her siblings, and, and, uh, and their children, and her parents could be consistently present in our kids' lives. Uh, that was that was kind of the non-negotiable for us. So that's, I mean, that's amazing. With us, me, most of my family's up near, uh, up in Ogdensburg, which is right near Canton. So we played Canton on, uh, on Monday this week and have my entire family there, you know, walk in and my my kids are there my wife's there all five of my nephews are there you know my siblings my parents my high school coaches sitting up there um some people i've coached with and coached for who, who are really mentors to me are up there you know it's it's a different feeling than what i had the last five years um you know it, it it's uh pretty cool to be able to see people you've known your entire life uh, on a consistent basis and that's something i've been missing the last several years and then looking at the SUNYAC itself, speaking here with Sean Pinkerton, the new head coach of the Oswego State Lakers women's basketball team. Just what you could say about the level of competition, I know you touched on it a little bit in the SUNYAC, but just what excitement it brings you to be inside a conference like this. And like you said, you wanted to go somewhere where you could be a perennial power, there could be that talent, and you're going to get strong games going up against you when you're inside of the conference, you know, you're going to get tested, which will obviously help you in tournament time. So just what you can say about the importance of the SUNYAC and, and just what you've taken away from the conference itself. Yes. I mean, at the D3 level within women's basketball, I've always felt like the indicator of a really, really strong conference is the ability to send multiple teams to the NCAA tournament. Uh, when you see a conference that's sending more than one more than one team to the NCAA tournament because just because of how few uh, at-large bids there are uh, in D3, um, you know you've got a really strong conference. So, you know, you just look at the SUNYAC in women's basketball last season to not just see two teams go to the NCAA tournament, but two teams which reach the second weekend and, and go to the Sweet 16 really speaks volumes about the strength of the conference. You know, and I, I've had the opportunity to coach in, multiple conferences and some that you know uh very very high level um used to sending multiple teams to the ncaa tournament and others where you know you're not going to the ncaa tournament unless you win the conference tournament that's that's the only way you're getting there um and just i feel like when you're in one of those really talented conferences where you know you're going to play several nationally ranked opponents throughout the season in conference play those are the teams that are set up for success because of the just the gauntlet that they've got to endure throughout their season. And to to look at the team that you have that you've come in and, and started to coach so far, obviously some of the players on this on this team you inherit 
as they had been there before in the 2016-17 season. So I wanted to start with looking at this roster and kind of just how they responded to you from when you walked through the door, what your juniors and, and seniors had to say, because there is this changeover. Tracy Bruno had been there for a while. She had become synonymous with the program. She decided to move forward into a different line of work. And whenever a new head coach comes in, there's that buy-in. Is there going to be you know, people that defect or are they going to sit back and listen to somebody who didn't recruit them and give them an opportunity to move into a new chapter? What was the transition like for you? I'm sure you might still be going through it early on in the season, but was the transition seamless? Did you feel like there was buy-in right away? Kind of how the team responded to you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think amongst the girls that are on the team, you know, there's there's a lot of um, affection for, for Coach Bruno. Um, she's an awesome person, and I know they really miss her um, as a person. I think at the same time, you know, the, you, you a lot of times they're just excited for change. Um, that can be, can be a scary thing, but but it also can be an exciting thing because you just you don't know what's going to come along with it. Um, so and, and they're really really good kids who want to succeed, and so that learning process in terms of learning about one another and learning how to best work with one another, I think is still ongoing. Um, but I don't question the buy-in on their part uh, and willingness to learn and to do what's asked of them. As far as on the recruiting side for you, Sean, how has life been in that realm? Because obviously you come in and you have to, you know, get a hold of what the team has been doing, what was the plan, what plan are you going to implement, are they similar, are they different. There's a lot of work with the players that are there themselves, but as far as building the brand outside of who's on the roster, what have you seen with that, and, and how do you feel about you know the, the recruitment side of Oswego moving forward? Yeah, I, I think moving forward, that's one of the things that most attracted me here. Yeah, I think it's a place that is very easy to recruit to, um, the size of the school, the cost of education, the variety of majors, geographic location, um, I think are all big assets for us. And so I think it is a place that's very easy to recruit to. Uh, I'm coming from a place that I think was far more challenging to recruit to. And so that's kind of a nice transition. At the same time, right now, to be honest, there's the challenge of getting here in August, not having seen any of the kids we're attempting to recruit play last year during their high school season, not having seen any of them play throughout AAU this past summer, uh, and really trying to recruit against people who have built an established rapport with these kids, you know, over the last 12 to six months, um, and still trying to get some of those top kids to get on campus for a visit be able to show them what your vision for the program is, you know, and convince them that this could be a great place for their next four-year experience. Speaking here with Sean Pinkerton, the head coach of the Oswego State Lakers women's basketball program, you had mentioned before you came to Oswego for this season and you were at St. Catherine University in St. Paul 
Minnesota and spent some time there over from 2012 through 2016-17 season. What were your biggest takeaways from St. Catherine? And and I know you just made mention that Oswego, you feel, is an easier place to recruit to than where you were prior to. What can you say you learned from your most previous job with, with that, that being St. Catherine? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things I, re- I learned there was I feel like I became a far more effective recruiter. Um, we, we had to be there. Um, and St. Kate's is a phenomenal place. I love St. Kate's. Um, some of the best people I've ever met professionally and personally in my life. And I think that was what we had to illustrate at St. Kate's. We had to get people there on campus to have the opportunity to realize what a special place it was. Um, but, you know, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, and I always feel like it's really important to be self-critical and to be honest and, and to really evaluate in that regard so that you can understand what your challenges are and what, you know, decisions you're going to make to put yourself in a position to succeed. Um, but, you know, St. Kate's, Kate's is a private, all-girls school that costs over fifty grand a year in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, that that can be a challenging place to recruit to, and so we learned you know a lot about the the, the effort that needs to go into recruiting um, to be successful. Um, that was one of the biggest things for me. Um, I personally really really like to surround myself with really talented people, um, and I was very fortunate there to have an incredibly talented coaching staff with me, um, and it gave me the opportunity to learn a lot. Um, by watching them on a daily on a daily basis with practice and, and giving them a good amount of autonomy to teach and to coach. Um, so, I, you know, the last five years, I feel like I really grew a lot as a coach in regards to how I taught the game, uh, especially on the offensive end of the floor, and just through, you know, the, the effort that we had to put forth uh, on the recruiting front. I really think I, I grew a lot and learned a lot there about what we need to do to be effective. And when you look at, at being an effective recruiter, you know, what does it take? What are some of those key ingredients and key points? Because I know you said, you know, location and, and things that are kind of out of your control, they can help you at Oswego in your opinion. But with what's in your control, how you spread a message, how you go about things. I mean, I, I don't want you to, to give away the house and any trade secrets in your recruitment, but what are some of those key pillars that you look for when you're going to find talent? and you're going to promote what you're going to do, how do you go about it to try and be different? Because there's a lot of coaches out there that will tell you certain things to get you to come there, and then there's coaches that you said are transparent and they tell you the truth. Yeah, 100%. So, um, you know, the the big thing, the the first thing that you have to do is you have to be able to evaluate talent. I mean, you got to be recruiting the right kid, Um, and, and that's big. And so that is something that I think you can do a better job at if you're constantly out watching, you're constantly a presence in the local basketball community because, you know, just the more opportunity you get to watch a kid, the less likely you are to miss in terms of your evaluation um, with regard to their talent, right? So um, that's, that, that's a big thing for me. One thing that I have really enjoyed for several reasons the last last few years has been coaching at the AAU level. Um, so I coach a lot at the AAU level. I feel like it, it makes myself a known commodity within the local basketball community. 
Um, it puts me that much closer to the kids. It puts me that much closer to the AAU coaches, the high school coaches, just so they know who I am. One of the big things with regard to recruiting is it's one thing for you to get a kid in front of you and to be able to tell them the type of experience they can expect to have should they come choose to be a part of your program. It's an entirely different thing to have someone they already know and trust very much tell them that exact same thing. So the bigger a presence I am in the local basketball community, the more likely one of their current teammates, one of their former teammates, the sibling of a teammate, the parent of a teammate, a current coach, a former coach, is going to be able to tell them that exact same thing and echo my message. You know, that that's going to go a long, long way. Um, but it, it's all about creating relationships and developing a rapport with kids so that they get a true sense of who you are as a person, who you are as a coach, and a really accurate look into what they can expect their experience to be like. Because, you know, you're, you're trying to put kids in a position where they've got the information they need to make a good decision about what what experience they want to have over those next four years. Um, so I think all of those things are, are hugely key to that process. Sean, when you look at at this year's team, you've only played a few games so far. You're six games in at this point of our conversation. Last year, the team won nine games in 15 try or 25 tries, I should say, nine and 16 overall. Two and four right now, seven away from matching nine wins from last year, and obviously you want to do better than that. What have you seen out of the young women on this team this season for you in your first season with Oswego? What have they shown you in a two and four start? What positives have you been able to take away so far? Yeah, I love her size. Um, got really, really good size across the board. Um, you know, we typically rebound the ball pretty well. Um, you know, and, and we've got we've got some challenges though. Part of that being we graduated from super talented kids. You know, it's, it's always challenging when you lose a point guard and you were relying on that point guard for about 37, 38 minutes a night, uh, that, that's a tough spot to be in because you are now watching some, you're, you're asking someone to step in and play very arguably the most pivotal role on the floor who has never done so at this level because, you know, last year you had someone else playing that position maybe two minutes a night. Um, and so you're either going to a kid who was on the team last year and didn't play a whole lot of minutes and trying to see that growth and development um, or you're going to a freshman you know and so that's really challenging you know and then to lose a, a all conference you know the college's female athlete of the year and Heather um, who was a tremendously talented kid for them you know those are some pretty significant losses to go along with a third starter and so we've got people who are trying to learn to take on far more responsibility than they had last year because we do only have one freshman um and just having to step up and, and fill a lot of those voids. To look at, at the most recent game, and, and I know it ended in, in a loss, and most recently here that we're talking on Thursday, November 30th, was yesterday, November 29th, on the road in Rochester. I know that the, the team didn't end up getting the victory. I know that the loss was substantial points-wise, 78-28. to 28, But to play the number nine ranked team in the country, was was there something that, you know, everything can be a teachable moment, in my opinion. Everything, you can learn something through whatever type of adversity you went through. So what did you learn playing up against one of the top ten teams in the nation? 
Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. If you can't get better playing a team like U of R, then what are you doing? You know, like you have an opportunity for 40 minutes to play one of the best teams in the country. And so that's an opportunity to learn a lot about yourself and learn where you need to improve and, and over the course of the game, utilize your timeouts, utilize those breakages and play between quarters and end. To say, you know, we're struggling in this area. Here are the adjustments we need to make. You know, and, and we've talked a bit about what our identity needs to be on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, and with them being such a talented offensive team, that was really a lot of our focus throughout the game and prior to the game. That let's see how we adjust to what they're doing on the offensive end and where we need to shore up some, some deficiencies in some areas where we haven't been doing the best of jobs because they are going to expose those mistakes. You know, if we go and make those mistakes yesterday, as we did, they're going to expose them and take advantage of them. Um, and so that was kind of the stuff we were constantly talking about throughout the game that we really needed to focus on um, and utilize that opportunity to attempt to execute, execute those things at a, at a higher level against such a talented opponent. So as you move forward, Sean, I mean, what would you like the community to know for Oswego, for Central New York, Upstate New York, and and further out from that? What should people know about this Oswego program? There's been some adversity recently, obviously the, the 9-16 and 16 record last season. What do you want people to know about where you're heading from here, what you're building, and, and what you stand for, what your pillars are of this foundation that you really look to build moving forward with Oswego and the Lakers? Yeah, you know, the, the things that I've always focused on are, one, it's super important that we create a positive, rewarding experience for the women who are part of our program. You know, that is first and foremost, um, because hopefully they're going to come here, spend four years as a part of our program. It's really important that, that they have a really positive, rewarding experience that teaches them and positions them to be successful, whether it is with us, on the floor, as a member of our basketball team, whether it's a student in, in our academic community here at Oswego, or when they graduate and they move beyond here into the into the quote-unquote real world and the rest of their lives. Um, and then beyond that, what I have always focused on from an athletic standpoint is we are going to get better. You know, and, and we keep it as simple as that. From yesterday to today, we got to get better. You know, from last week to next week, we got to get better. Uh, from last season to, to this season, we got to get better. You know, and that's when you, when you take that approach and you're very intentional about that, um, you can't help but at some point in time reach where you want to be. You know, and that's that's really kind of the way we went about it at St. Kate's. Um, and I felt that we had a, a really good deal of success doing that, you know, walking into a program that went almost two years without winning a conference game, you know, and, and had to play in one of the toughest conferences in the country. You know, that's a conference where you fairly regularly get three teams ranked in the top 25 in the country. Uh, you're always sending two and sometimes three teams to the NCAA tournament. You know, you're regularly playing in conference by top, you know, a team that's top five in the country. So to start out from that point, you know, and, and go at two and 23 the first year and then four games and then win 10 games and then win 14 games, then win 15 games, you know, to beat the second ranked team in the country, um, you know, that was kind of a process of just constantly getting better and staying focused on, on that um, being our goal. And that's exactly what we're going to do here. That coming from Sean Pinkerton, Oswego State Lakers women's basketball 
head coach and Sean, I truly appreciate it. I know it's the first time that you've been here on the show, but I look forward to the opportunity to to sit down in person sometime soon as well to be up there for a game and obviously to have you back here on the show because Oswego is near and dear to my heart, as is uh, every school that is in the central and upstate New York area because I feel the work that is being done by coaches like yourself goes a long way, and I think that it needs to be respected. It needs to be spoken about more. And I really do hope that the success that you're working to build ends up showing the fruits of your labor sooner than later. I definitely hope for that. Thank you very much, Dan. I really appreciate it. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Take care. That coming from Sean Pinkerton once again here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. On wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop. Very happy to be here on the broadcast as always and I want to thank Sean I want to thank the Oswego State Lakers the women's basketball program and I meant what I said you know I want there to be success with OCC with Oswego with Syracuse with Lemoyne that doesn't make me a partial broadcaster it makes me an honest person you know I meet a lot of these coaches at Cornell Colgate as well I mean I have the opportunity to be around people who care and when you get the opportunity to be around people where it's so much more than wins and losses and you get to really get a feel for who they are and what they stand for. You know, Jason Leone, who's been on the show recently, and you can hear that on wakeupcalldt.podbean.com and and so much more coming up this week. So, you know, Jason Leone of of the Oswego State Lakers men's basketball team, Sean Pinkerton of women's basketball at Oswego, to Mike Wheeler of OCC, to Eric Cerrone, who you're going to hear from in just a moment, from OCC men's basketball side, Wheeler of the women's basketball side was just on the broadcast, to Coach Q at SU, to Jim Beheim at Syracuse, to, you know, it's, it, for me, it's, it, it, and it is, it's Colgate, it's Cornell, it's Binghamton, it's so on and so forth. There's, there's so many different schools and so much that you know we can gain from connecting with those schools from those universities colleges and institutions that I really feel proud to have here on wake up call with Dan Satora where for me it's not just you know who's the program that's winning or you know who's the team that's most successful it's so much more to, more than that for me you know Pat Beeline over at Lemoyne for the men's basketball side of things is somebody that I've always been proud to have on the show and speak with. And of course, Gina Castelli on the women's side for the Lemoyne College Dolphins. So, you know, there there's so much in central and upstate New York. And to have a new face, a new name, a new voice in Sean Pinkerton really means a lot to me. And I was more than proud to have him on the show today. I hope he enjoyed himself and we look forward to having him back very soon. We're going to take a fast break because it's time to stay with that motif, with that theme of Central and Upstate New York basketball and sports and in general and supporting these schools that are working so tirelessly to be successful, not just on the court, on the fields, and so on and so forth, but in life in general, off the court, off the field, making sure that these young men and women have a good life. So we'll take a fast break and we'll come right back with Eric Cerrone of the OCC men's basketball team in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. 
Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvalanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DrysigLady.com, D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, Lady.com. With the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing, DrysigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, Command yourself to feel comfortable in Dreisig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DrysigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513 or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, gotta take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name, so give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. The Market Diner prides itself on bringing the local community fresh ingredients that are better than going elsewhere. Open for breakfast, served all day, lunch and dinner with daily specials. The Market Diner is located at the Regional Market on Park Street, right across from Destiny, USA. For takeout, call 315-474-5247. The Market Diner. Local. Fresh. Better. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Happy to be here with you on the broadcast every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and truly appreciate you tuning in on WakeUpCallDT.com's homepage where you'll find the MixLR live feed, and also on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT directly. 
If you haven't become a member, it's free to do so. Members can chat with me in the live chat room. They can also connect with the show and never miss a live show again inside of 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, and all of the on-site impromptu special shows we do in the central and upstate New York community and beyond by becoming a member for free on MixLR.com backslash DT. Thank you to so many of you who have done so. We truly appreciate it. Here in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. I am very happy to have Eric Cerrone on the line with me right now. He's no stranger to the broadcast. We spoke when he was at Henniger. We spoke when he came over to OCC, and he's continuing to build something at OCC to the best of his ability, which has turned out to pay off dividends last season and a 5-1 and one start this season. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome him back to the show, OCC Lasers men's basketball head coach Eric Cerrone. Eric, how you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And and Eric, first and foremost, just what you could say about, you know, you got your feet wet in this job with OCC and you got to know kind of what it felt like to, to be at this level and to have this opportunity in junior college. What have you taken away from it since the day you walked into where you stand today? Um, it's, I'll tell you the, one of the things that, that's really from a coaching standpoint, uh, that's, that stood out to me is how much tougher at this level it is on the road, um, than, you know, my previous 15 years at Henniger, uh, just because of, you know, the amount of travel, you know, the length of the season. And then just, it's, it's, it's a lot tougher to win on the road, um, it's a lot tougher to win on the road, I think, at the, at the college level than it than it uh, was at the high school level. At least that's what I'm finding. Uh, I'm not complaining about our road record. We've been pretty good on the road, uh, but it, it's um it's a it's a real grind on the kids and the coaches. When you look back at your first season, you were hired back in April fifteenth, two thousand sixteen. So you had last season with the team and brought them to an eighty four point eight winning percentage, the highest winning percentage in the history of OCC men's basketball in a 49-year-old program and were named the NJCAA Region 3 Coach of the Year. What can you say coming off of something like that? I mean, you obviously set the bar high. The record was 28-5 and last year. What were your takeaways from a season where you received accolades, the program obviously boosted itself up, and there's going to be a lot of expectation moving forward? Um, it was, it, it was, I don't, I think I didn't know necessarily what to expect. And I think our team didn't know what to expect. And so every, you know, every day was new and every day was exciting. And, uh, we, we had a couple big wins early and we kind of rode momentum, you know, through a lot of the year last year. And then, you know, kind of figured out second semester, I guess we were pretty good. And, you know, we had a chance, you know, we were as, as good as anybody in the region where this year coming in. I think we got a little bit different weight of expectations on us, um, and it, it's just a it's just a little a little different little different thing to deal with for us, um, a little different for the kids to deal with. Where last year I think we might have snuck up on some people. This year we're not sneaking up on anybody. And what can you say about the transition as a head coach to be a team that last year could sneak up on some people, and this year you're going to get you know potentially everybody's best game? How have you? learn to handle that as a coach and then teach that as, as obviously the head of this team. Um, we, that was the position we were in at Henniger. 
for all of the 15 years I was there. I mean, you know, when I, I walked into the job at Henniger, they were the defending uh, state champions. And I was I was crazy enough to take over for Joe Mazzella the year after they won state you know the state championship. So um, from a coaching perspective, I'm pretty used to it. Uh, that that's how we always was. We always got everybody's best game of Henniger, and we were always you know the, the circle on everybody's calendar. Uh, I think it was new for it's been new for some of some of our guys um, this year, but I think we've adjusted to it you know pretty well, and we're. Um, I'd have it no other way, and we're not trying to sneak up on anybody. We, uh, uh, if we want to be successful, we want to be good. Then uh, people should know it, and people, you know, should res- hopefully respect us. And obviously, we're going to get everybody's best effort. So, um, you know, it's been a it's been a little challenge getting the guys to understand. And we had our first scrimmage of the year, and we, you know, the team was all fired up for us, and they were ready, and we weren't ready to play. And I think right from the get-go, that was a great learning experience that this is how it's going to be every night. You're going to get everybody's best game. And when you when you have that, like you said, you know, the guys have to be ready to go, and if they're not prepared, then, you know, obviously that's, they're going to feel that immediately. You got that, like you said, at Henniger. You know what it felt like to get everyone's best game. You knew what it felt like to be in the fire every single week. Can you pull – from those moments, I know that it's high school versus JUCO college, but but can you have that opportunity that you had at Henniger kind of pay off dividends right now when you are trying to have a teachable moment? Do you feel that, that there are some parallels that you can utilize? Oh, no doubt. There's huge parallels. But, I mean, basketball is basketball at every level. It's, you know, it's the same thing. Just as you go up levels, the, you know, the players get better. You know, and the players you're playing against get better. But, um I use ex- I uh, for good or bad. I use you know examples from my time at Henniger all the time with our team uh, because you know if, as a teacher you're going to teach from what you know and that's you know that's what I, that's what I uh, that's what I know um, and then now we're just adding you know more experiences to it. But yeah, we um, I draw on that you know all the time. And when you look back to those moments at Henniger, are there any that you can really pull out? to say, you know, these are things that are kind of on your head right now. I mean, the team's 5-1 and one in your start so far, but is there anything that you've kind of pulled back to already? Uh, yeah, a ton, a ton of things, but nothing, I wouldn't say um, anything that, you know, anything that, that stands out. One of the, the, maybe the one thing is I told the guys, you know, in the spring actually that, you know, from my ex- experience, when you're returning a lot of guys, um, everyone expects everything to just be the same. Oh, you got everybody back, you know, everything will go the same. And it doesn't work that way. You know, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Every year is different. Um, you know, one person can change your chemistry, um, you know, for better or worse. You know, one, even just the way the schedule lays out or, you know, the way an injury falls, you know, the momentum you, you gain through the season. Every year is different, and we're trying. It's hard after having a, a good first year last year, it's hard not to, you know, compare back to last year, but we're really trying to make an effort to, um, you know, this is a, it's a new year. It's its own year. This is a different year. And what happened last year's, you know, really in reality is irrelevant. And when you look at, you know, this season, like you said, if last season is irrelevant because you have to focus on what you're doing right now, you had made mention speaking here with Eric Cerrone, OCC, Lasers men's basketball head coach in his second season with the team. You had made mention of the first game of the season, which was on November 5th against Sullivan County Community College. 
and that was on the road, a loss 91-78, that if you don't come out prepared knowing that you're going to get everybody's best game, moments like that can happen. Since then, the team has gone 5-0. and What did you? How did you see the team react? Did you have to corral them? Did they work to corral themselves? After that loss, to know, hey, listen, we didn't come out the way that we should have, they've obviously responded with five straight wins, so something clicked after that loss. What was it? You know what, it, it might seem like that, but um, Sullivan's a, I don't even know how many to be honest with you, but they're a multiple-time national champion at the Division Three JUCO level. Um, you know, they're one of the, they're a, they're a forever national power. Uh, we were, we had them in our tournament last year at home and, and beat them, and that was kind of one of the games that, you know, really got us rolling. Um, so, really to open up at their place, you know, on the road, um, their you know, ranked preseason in the country was was a huge test for us right off the jump. And we did it on purpose because, you know, if we're, if we're on paper supposed to be good this year, we wanted to find out right away. It wasn't like we went down and weren't ready to play. Uh, actually, I thought we were really ready to play. We, we had a really good first half. Sullivan's really good. And, you know, they're really good and they were home. And the game was closer probably than the final score. And it wasn't like we laid an egg or didn't play well. It's just, you know, like I said, a tough road game to open up against a great team. You know, a team that I could see going to, you know, the final eight or final four, you know, nationally. So it was um, it was a good test. I don't, you know, we obviously didn't win, but we didn't fail the test either. So, and then, uh, you know, we, we responded well, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't this huge wake-up call moment or anything losing that game. It was, like I said, a really tough road game, especially for our for, for our opener. And like you said, to schedule that and to want to play that early on, what did it show you about the makeup of your team this season? What were kind of some bullet points that you were able to take away from playing a good team like Sullivan? Uh, we, we competed. You know, we competed. We rebounded pretty well they're huge so they kind of got to us on the glass they wore us down i thought in the second half but we um you know you just learn you learn a bunch of little things about your team and i wasn't like i said on the on the ride home i was obviously you're never happy with a loss but i wasn't displeased with the guys so um you know just got to keep working on the things we're you know we're working on and uh i think we've gotten we've gotten better you know every week so far through the season and I think that's a key is to continue to improve. Um, you don't want to peak too early in this, in such a long basketball season. That coming from Eric Cerrone, OCC men's basketball head coach. And with the team on the road this week on December 3rd at 2 p.m. at Clinton Community College in Plattsburgh, New York, there's going to be something going on at OCC to keep your attention and keep you focused. So even though OCC is going to be on the road, there'll be something to do at OCC in the Pepino's Invitational that will tip off this weekend. And the schedule will be Friday, Jamesville DeWitt versus Auburn and Christian Brothers Academy up against Fayetteville Manlius, West Hill against Saratoga, who's Section 2. On Saturday, an even bigger schedule, Corcoran, Utica Proctor, West Genesee against CBA, Fayetteville Manlius against Rome Free Academy, West Hill versus Canton, which is Section 10, Liverpool versus Bishop Grimes, and Henniger versus Bishop Ludden. A, a massive, massive week, and I just had West Genesee out at the Wildcat Sports Pub. Speaking on this, 
there is so much excitement around this weekend for high school basketball in Central and Upstate New York, and it's going to be at the Pepino's Invitational at OCC. So I know that this is something that Eric is very excited about, so I'm kind of going to open up the floor to you, Eric, and, and speak on getting the Pepino's Invitational there and just what it means to you. Uh, it's it's when we started the started the, the tournament or the Invitational 14 years ago or whatever it was, you know, back at Henniger, it was just, it was one day and it was three games. Uh, it's gotten a lot, way, way bigger than, than I ever imagined. You know, it's kind of comes to symbolize maybe the start of the high school basketball season. And when I took the job at OCC, um, I wanted to keep it going if I could. And, and our sponsor, Pepino's, uh, John Vigilati at Pepino's, good enough to want to move it up the hill uh, with us. So it, it's a lot of work to keep it going, but, uh, I think it's um, just a great community event. You know, getting all the uh, as many of the good teams in the area together in one spot as you can. It's you know five dollar admission for the whole day, and you know if you're a basketball junkie, it's the place to be. You know, three great games on Friday night, and then uh, we expanded a little this year the way the schedule worked out. You know, six games back to back to back to back to back. You know, all day Saturday. So it's it's as much basketball as you can stand. Um, up to OCC this weekend, and I think we got some uh, some interesting, some different matchups. Liverpool hasn't played Grimes in you know a real long time. West Hill Canton is a is a rematch of the Class B sectional final. I'm sorry, state final, Class B state final from last year that West Hill won. Uh, and both teams have pretty much the majority of their whole teams back. Um, so that's that that's on paper could be a classic. You know, anytime you get CBA and FM and JD and, um, you know, West Jenny and Proctor and Corker and any of these teams involved, uh, we're going to have, we're going to definitely have a great lineup of games. With you being the former head coach of Henniger and, and obviously when you're at OCC, you're recruiting and trying to bring kids in, especially local kids, just what you could say about, you know, the excitement it is for you as just a basketball fan in general. I know that you're going to have a game on the road on December 3rd, but looking at Friday, December 1st, and Saturday, December 2nd, just what this moment means from your perspective as a basketball fan, a former high school head coach, and somebody that's constantly recruiting high schools in the area, just just what this moment is for kind of a basketball junkie like yourself. It's just, uh, you know, people talk about a win-win situation. For me, this is like a win-win-win-win-win-win situation. It's, it's um... Uh, we couldn't ask for anything more. I get to see most of, you know, all of these, the high school coaches are, are good friends of mine, you know, having done battle with them for so many years. So I get to, I get to see them. We get to get all of the high school uh, kids into our building, you know, and playing a game at OCC so they can kind of see the atmosphere. Um, you know, if it's a, if it becomes a, a possibility as a college choice for them. Um, so I think it's good exposure for us there. And then just as a, uh, a basketball fan and a basketball junkie. We got nine, nine tremendous high school games, you know, in two days, and then, and then we're on a bus Sunday morning at seven a.m. to get up to Plattsburgh to play Clinton. So then I get to coach my team. So um, as a as a basketball guy, it's the uh, it's like kind of the ultimate weekend. And to have that, like you said, I mean, you have you have so much opportunity there for you because you have all these high school kids in front of you. You, the recruiting comes to you essentially, and then you get to go on the road. I mean, just just speak on what energy that brings to you, and just what you could say 
about how much fun it is to see, like you said, some teams play each other that haven't played each other in a really long time. Uh, that's that's kind of been uh, one of the, for running the Pepinos all these years. Uh, one of the things I enjoy is trying to play with and jiggle the matchups and get new and interesting games. I mean, you have your standards. You know, Henniger Bishop Ludden is is you know always going to be a classic game. You know, whether it's in the summer league or a sectional final or wherever it is. Um, but we always try to do something different. Um, you know, FM hasn't played Rome Free Academy in a while. Rome Free's got a really good team um, this year. Uh, you know, they could be one of the better teams in Double A. So, you know, getting them into it, we we try to just rotate the games and get different teams and just get a different feel. Um, and it's it, it's it's hard to do sometimes because we lay these games out and really April May the schedule's usually done. You know, early June before you know high schools get out of session. So, you know, trying to predict which teams are going to be as good as everybody says and get the right matchups. Um, I I enjoy that part of it. You know, as as much as anything. That coming from OCC Lasers men's basketball head coach Eric Cerrone. Eric, before I let you go, to swing back to your team, just what you could say about leadership. I know that it's something that has to develop quickly because you only have two years with your players on your team as opposed to a four-year college where you can have anywhere from one to four or if you got a fifth-year senior. In this case, you have two seasons. You have freshman and sophomore, and then you got to send them on their way to their next chapter in their basketball life or wherever they go from there. What can you say about leadership on this year's team? Um, it's it's kind of – we have some guys that are probably more leaders than others, but um, – it's similar to last year where I would call our leadership kind of collective. We don't have, you know, one rah-rah guy or one guy that is, you know, this is my team, you know, a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant, that this is my team. We know the ball is going through them and, you know, we're going to win or lose with them and everyone's going to jump on their back. Uh, We have kind of multiple guys that, that play that role. And I think that makes us really tough to play against. You know, obviously, you know, Tyler was our leading scorer, but him and Tay were, you know, first team all region last year. We got a lot of guys that feed off each other. And I think our, our, we got a lot, a lot of different threats, you know, a lot of guys that can step up. And, um, I've actually tried to not put all the leadership on one person because I think, you know, we have multiple guys that can lead. So that's been a, um, it's been, it's been a positive. And finally, for you, Eric, to swing back to the Pepinos Invitational in the sense of recruitment, what can you say about the talent of Central and Upstate New York? How would you define the talent that is in Central and Upstate New York? Because it's obviously important to you. It's important to your program at OCC. So just what you could say about you know showing some love for the kids in the area that are working really hard to advance their career, and not just scholastically, but to make sure that on the court they're doing that as well. Yeah, I, I've always, in my position as a high school coach, I always thought, uh, you know, Section 3 in particular, but, you know, upstate New York's been underrated. And um, if you look at um, all the better, uh, it's a lot of the top high school kids this year went off to prep school. Um, I think that kind of shows that they're going out to get more exposure. But if you look at the makeup of our team, so many teams in our league are, are so, you know, New York City-based. Um you know, just you look a lot of a lot of kids from New York City. Even you know, on on all of the teams in our league, where we're 
Um, not that we have anything against bringing in any guys from, from, from downstate, but, you know, we're a community college. We should serve this area. And I would, the majority, high majority of our team are Section 3 guys. We've got a couple, you know, a kid from Buffalo, a kid from Rochester, a kid from Albany. But, you know, it's really Section 3. And I think that's been a huge bonus for us because the kids have a sense of community and a sense of, um, you know, they've all played against each other in high school, and now they're now they're playing together. Um, I think it's helped our chemistry tremendously, the fact that we're, uh, we're so local. That coming from Eric Cerrone, OCC Lasers men's basketball program. In his second season, the team is currently 5-1. and one. After losing their first game, 5-0 and oh since then. They have a game on the weekend. The Pepinos Invitational, like we just spoke about, go out and see it at OCC this Friday and Saturday. And there's a $5 all-day admission cost to the event. And you're going to see amazing teams go up against one another, a fully stocked schedule. Talk about Thanksgiving stuffed. We got another stuffed weekend following Thanksgiving. And I appreciate OCC once again for doing this, the 14th annual Pepino's Invitational. And Eric, as always, I hope you do well moving forward. I know you got your road game coming up and then a bunch at the SRC Arena. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That coming from Eric Cerrone. One more time, Eric Cerrone, the OCC men's basketball head coach. As I said, the team is currently 5-1 and one after losing their first game on the road to Sullivan County Community College. Mike Wheeler was on the show yesterday, if you were listening live, and Mike Wheeler and I had the discussion about his team and the schedule that there's a lot of, you know, games that's, you know, they're on the road at home, on the road, at home, they back and forth. There's going to be a big road stint for the men's basketball team. So when you look at OCC and then you come back and, and you look at the women's side and then come back and look at the men's side, you know, Harrisburg, Corning, Broom, Jefferson, Tompkins, and Mohawk, all between January 5th and January 22nd, every one of those games is on the road. It will send Eric Cerrone and the OCC men's basketball team to Harrisburg, PA, Corning, New York, Binghamton, New York, Watertown, New York, Dryden, New York, and Utica, New York, before they come home on January 24th. And then they'll have a bunch of home games after that, and they'll finish off with numerous games inside of Allen Hall. But you can obviously see them before that when they face off on December 6th, 9th, and 10th in doubleheaders with the women's basketball team against Hudson Valley Community College, Herkimer County Community College, and Sudie Adirondack in the SRC Arena and Events Center. So make sure you go out and see OCC. The next chance you'll get is December 6th. But if you're feeling like you need to see some basketball in Central Upstate New York, listen, Syracuse is on the road until December 9th. So if you have Syracuse season tickets and you want to be in the Carrier Dome and you're missing the Carrier Dome and you're so sad that there's nothing going on, please make sure that you consult the calendar. There's plenty going on outside of Syracuse. So they're not home until December 9th, which means that you have more than enough time to free up some some space in your schedule to head out to OCC this weekend to see the Pepinos Invitational on Friday, December 1st and Saturday, December 2nd, and you could go out and see the OCC doubleheaders on December 6th and 10th if you're going to the SU game on December 9th. So plenty for you to get out to and enjoy, and a big thanks to OCC. The men are 5-1 and one in the basketball side of things, and the women's team with Mike Wheeler 
are 6-1 and one this season. So both doing what they need to do. Mike Wheeler's been taking care of business forever and a day. And Eric Cerrone, from the moment he walked in the door, is keeping pace with the women's side of things. So I hope, the both, I hope that that continues for both of them, that they keep pace with one another trending upward because it's some of the best junior college basketball you will find in the entire nation when both teams are clicking. Highest winning percentage ever in the history of OCC men's basketball, 84.8% under Eric Cerrone in his first season, 28-5 record. And Mike Wheeler, we know that he's a national power pretty much every single season. So I'm excited to see these two teams. They did amazing work last year to both look like teams that were going to survive the test of time and be there at the end of things. They have an opportunity this year in a strong start to keep pace, stay focused, and get after it again, going after a national championship. So excited about what's to come. Can't wait to be over at OCC and hang out and see these teams compete and push forward. I love that they do double headers because it gives me an excuse to just go and hang out and watch both of the teams up against the competition that comes in from week to week. And I hope that you'll go out there as well. I'll take a fast break here on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora. We'll switch gears from college basketball to college football, and we will get into championship week. Florida State playing their 12th game of the season that they were able to schedule at the 11th hour in hopes of making it to a bowl game at 6-6. They're currently 5-6. So we'll talk about that. We'll discuss the coaching carousel, the college football playoff, most recent rankings, agreeing or disagreeing, and, of course, championship week and what we think it means for each of these conferences with huge implications in the college football playoff. All of that's coming up with Papa Joe and myself in just a moment here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on MixLR.com backslash DT, where sports truly meets life. This is a Wake Up Call Fast Break. Hey, Wake Up Call listeners, this is Tom Taylor, owner of Sammy Malone's, located at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, overlooking the beautiful Seneca River. We proudly open our doors to you seven days a week, beginning at 11 a.m. daily, with free parking. Whether it's game day, after work drinks, or a meal with family and friends, we are honored that you come visit us. Call 315-635-5407 for parties and catering. I'll see you at Sammy Malone's, home of the best sandwich in Beeville. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalware, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formalware. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. It would be a pity if you don't shop at Honda City. 
For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your events, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. It would be a pity if you don't shop. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash DT in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. It is the home of the Dan Tortora special, which was voted one of the top five sandwiches in central New York this past week. Shout out to all of you for being awesome. The bacon, egg, and cheese inside of a Belgian waffle. You don't have breakfast sandwiches like this. And if anybody tries, imitation is the highest form of flattery, but it's never going to taste the same. Head out to the Market Diner and get the Dan Tortora special bacon, egg, and cheese inside of a Belgian waffle. At this point of the morning menu of today's show, the final show of November, I am here as I always am at the second hour on a Thursday show with Papa Joe and the Papa Joe's Picks. It's college football championship week, folks. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. We have the American Athletic Conference Championship game. We have the Pac-12, the Conference USA, the MAC, the Big 12, the SEC, the SWAC, the MWC Mountain West, the ACC, and the Big 10 all facing off against one another. Plenty of top 25 teams ranked throughout these championship games, and I'm excited to be covering them and to be down in Orlando, going to be covering the UCF game against Memphis. And with that being said, Papa Joe, how we doing? Oh, good, Daniel. It's like 75 degrees down here. You're going to love it. Yeah, well, um, that must be really nice because it's a, it's a nice, I don't know, 30, 40 degrees this morning. <laughs> um, that's unacceptable, Daniel. Unacceptable. Well, uh, down here in Gator Nation, we've all breathed a sigh of relief. Uh, we're very pleased that uh, Coach Dan Mullen from Mississippi State has decided to take the Florida job. Uh, come to find out uh, all the things that were said, uh, Skip Kelly wasn't really uh, that well thought of in his interview. He came off kind of aloof. I think probably he he knew something was in the in the wind uh, with out, out west school UCLA. But uh, Dan Mullen, being a friend of the current AD at Florida, who was at Mississippi State, uh, was huge impact on Mr. Mullen to come here. So. Uh, with that, we welcomed him, and uh, Florida recruitment started to pick back up again. They lost a couple of recruits. 
because of the untimely uh, acts to Mr. Coach McElwain. But I picked up one yesterday from some big big tackle from Pennsylvania is coming down to Florida. So um, Coach Mullen brings a really up pace offense to our team, and I'm pretty sure that the Gator Nation is going to love it after the, the couple of coaches that were really uh, defensive-minded. you got to be able to throw the ball and run the ball. He's got option quarterbacks. Matter of fact, he's got one really good option quarterback, dual quarterback from California, by the name of Matt Corral. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised, he coming here as a freshman, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins the job because that's the kind of, that's the kind of quarterback that Coach Mullen likes. Anyway, um, he runs a spread offense. going to be exciting. Can't wait for Florida football. But that being said, what do you think about the uh, SEC game? Well, you know, we know that this SEC game is going to have uh, many implications for the college football playoff because the college football playoff loves themselves some SEC. So, you know, when when you look at this matchup between the two teams that are facing off in the SEC championship game, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the irony of this is that the regular season and championship game ends in Mercedes-Benz Stadium with the SEC, and it began there when I went and saw Alabama face off against Florida State of the ACC earlier on this season. So it's pretty cool. It's going to be in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Number six, Georgia taking on number two, Auburn. I, I thought that Georgia was a weak number one. I never thought they should have been ranked number one this season. I thought that that was Alabama's to lose, and they did. And Auburn being ranked number two makes a lot of sense to me at this point. They're in the college football playoff. I agree with that. I think Auburn's going to win this game. I, I think that, you know, yeah, Georgia could win and make this whole thing a crazy fest of, you know, do you let in Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, two of them, none of them, three of them. I mean, they're going to let in somebody, but I think that Auburn's going to win this game. You know, you said, Papa Joe, a while ago that the SEC runs through Auburn and they've defeated Georgia and Alabama, and I see them doing it again at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I think Auburn's going to make a case that they should be the number one team in the college football playoff. I think you're correct, Daniel. Uh, the only problem that Auburn would have is Georgia has a good running attack, a uh, two-pronged attack with a couple of big bats that they can you know, keep Auburn's offense off the field. Uh, it would probably benefit them. The, Auburn's on a roll with uh, the kid Stidham that plays a quarterback. Boy, he looked really, really comfortable in the pocket against Alabama. And I, I said a couple of weeks ago, you're right, it's going to go through Auburn. I don't think anyone wants to face Auburn right now. And I think Auburn's going to win this game handily, unless Georgia can run the ball and keep the offense off the field. Yeah, you know, I think it's definitely going to be an, an interesting game. It's going to be an exciting game. I'm leaning on Auburn in this game to win it as i had said it's going to be at 4 p.m on cbs saturday december 2nd so make sure you're plopped in front of a couch somewhere if you're not going to be at the game to make sure that you're watching the game against georgia and auburn the question that comes from this and there's so much i'm so happy that it's it's finally papa joe's picks time because there's so much going on with the coaching carousel fsu getting another game the championship games going on the college football playoff, do you agree or disagree moments? We have so much to talk about today. The first on the docket coming off of this game, Papa Joe, is Georgia, Auburn, Alabama. Who should be in? Let's say Auburn wins. Then, in my opinion, Georgia's out, and most likely Alabama is teetering at five. 
Now, Alabama's watching. They are essentially the Ohio State of last year. When Penn State faced Wisconsin, Penn State had to surge all the way back at the end of the season, win crucial games down the stretch. They did. Go to the Big Ten Championship. They did. Beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten. They did. And then Ohio State, that that was watching the game, sitting home eating popcorn, got to reap the benefits of Penn State winning, which made little to no sense. Alabama is in the same spot that Penn State was in last year, fifth, the outside looking in, right there on the precipice of being in. So if Auburn wins or Georgia wins, do you consider putting Alabama in this thing, or is Alabama just completely out of this thing at this point? I mean, I feel like it's hard to say because I feel they're the prodigal child of the college football playoff, and I think that Alabama sells a lot of tickets, but they're not in the SEC championship game, so are they in the college football playoff? Boy, that's a very tough question. I would not want to be the committee on this one. Uh, No one's going to be happy no matter what. Uh, Certainly if Auburn wins, uh, they're in. Uh, There's a good chance that Alabama could be considered. I I don't know. You have to look at the other games, maybe Wisconsin, Ohio State, and see what happens, Oklahoma, TCU. You know, Nick Saban brings a lot to the table. Um, I'll guarantee you, if he played Auburn tomorrow, he wouldn't lose. But that being said, it would be very difficult to put Alabama in the top four. Uh, I think if Auburn stays there, uh, they're in. If Georgia wins, uh, Georgia-Alabama out of the two, uh, out of the four teams, uh, that's two SEC teams, I'm not sure the committee wants that either. So very difficult situation. Uh, to answer your question again, I don't think that Auburn, or that Alabama should be considered uh, if Auburn wins. Yeah, you know, I think if, if Auburn does this, they'll have two wins over Georgia and they'll have a victory over Alabama as well. I think that Georgia is, this is their last-ditch effort. Now, the question is, on the other side of this, if Georgia wins the game, do you put in Georgia and Auburn? So if Georgia's able to beat Auburn now, now why argue Alabama in if Auburn loses? Well, I think Alabama has uh, proved year, all year long that they're the best in the SEC. Of course, they lost to Auburn on a last-second kick, but uh, that's okay. The other games, the other games are really going to dictate what the committee does with Alabama. Uh, certainly, if Georgia loses, they're out. If Georgia wins, certainly they should be in. Should they be in ahead of Alabama? I'm not quite so sure. If I'm looking at the committee and I'm looking at at Georgia wins, I'm looking to move Alabama in front of Georgia to make the Final Four. So Georgia will essentially help Alabama's case? Yes. Well, you know, I I can't disagree. I think if if Georgia wins, then the committee's going to have a tough time saying, well, how can we leave Alabama out when Georgia didn't take care of first place that well and Alabama took care of it for the majority of the season so I do I agree with you that Georgia almost makes a case for Alabama if they win this game if Auburn wins the game I think they slam the door on everybody but I just find it very interesting that you said on this show a while back weeks ago that this will run through Auburn and darn it if you weren't correct Papa Joe because because Auburn has basically everybody's cojones in their hand at this point Right. They are a very, very difficult team to beat right now. They moved the ball. Actually, their defense played a lot better than they thought they would against Alabama. Um, 
Uh, I think Jalen Hurts from Alabama, the, the young quarterback, uh, I don't think he's progressing as well as the uh, as, as everyone wanted him to be. He's still not a, uh, a throw. He's not, he's not a pitcher. He's not a thrower. He's not a tosser. So uh, Alabama, Alabama will be tough. And if, if they make the Final Four, you can actually look for them to go all the way. Alabama, big words on Alabama, a team that Nick Saban's got to sit there and wait. The $11 million coach has to sit and wait for Georgia to help him out a little bit. Uh, the other, the, the biggest game outside of that one that's going to have implications in the college football playoff. Now, there's others, but Clemson is number one right now. Miami is number seven. Miami fittingly fell out of the top four when they lost to Pittsburgh most recently right after Thanksgiving, and, and that was the right move to make, in my opinion. Clemson has risen to number one. My disagreement with this is the fact that Oklahoma has a loss only to Iowa State, who was ranked during the season, where Clemson has a loss to a 4-8 and Syracuse team who literally had to win two of their last five games to become bowl eligible and could not do that. Sound familiar to Syracuse fans? Because it is. So Clemson has a terrible loss where Oklahoma has a somewhat, okay, you know, Iowa State's not a bad team. So in my opinion, they should be going into this week with Oklahoma 1, Auburn 2, Clemson 3, and then you move, and then Wisconsin 4, or you argue Auburn 1, Oklahoma 2. But Clemson, again, speak about prodigal children, if it's not Alabama, it's Clemson. And that's how the committee seems to roll. They gave them the number one designation, despite the fact that they lost to a team that out of 130 FBS schools is probably ranked 80 to 90 at this point to end the season at four and eight. So thoughts, number one on Clemson being ranked number one in the country. And then secondly, thoughts on the ACC championship game. Um, I think Clemson has a big edge in experience. Uh, Debo Sweeney has certainly uh, professed himself to be one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, Alabama will be very, very difficult to uh, in this team against Miami. I don't see Miami having a shot here. Uh, Miami, you're right. Miami was, like Wisconsin, really overrated because they just because they were undefeated. Uh, they were overrated and underrated in Wisconsin's case. But I look for Clemson uh, to win this game handily. I think their defense uh, is going to shut Miami down. And, you know, I sort of disagree with you on, on Clemson being number one. I think the only reason they are number one, obviously because they're a good football team, but the last two years, they've been in a championship game. And I think that's what the committee is looking at. They have a big edge in experience. Well, and that's where we have to discuss this. If every season is a new season, you know, if you've been in the college football playoff, you seem to have not only the opportunity to get back, but it seems like almost that the sins of a team who has been in the college football playoff are handled a little more with kid gloves than the sins of a team that has not. It, it, it ultimately feels like, listen, if you've been in the college football playoff, if you won the college football playoff even more so, there's this thing where if Clemson makes a mistake or two during the season, the committee still wants to, it, it almost feels like the committee wants to get them in. If Alabama makes a mistake, eh, you know, it's Alabama. So there's a reputation to this. If you're in in the past, there's reason to believe that they'll find a way to get you in in the future. And if you're a two-loss team and there's other two-loss teams out there that might have a better schedule than you or might be better than you, that it's a lot harder to say no to you. It's 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 kind of like that ex-girlfriend that you know 
she's got some issues and there's a reason why you broke up, but you've known her so long and at midnight you're calling her up on the phone asking her to come over to your house. Clemson and Alabama have this connection with the college football playoff. They're the midnight phone call to the ex-girlfriend. Is that right or is that wrong? It's that's a good point. Uh, I think the, the committee is looking at, can you believe that Alabama and Clemson could be uh, playing for the national championship three years in a row? You know, you got to hats off to these programs. I mean, they're tough. They, they recruit well. They coach well. They got good kids. Uh, edge and experience, again, same thing. Uh, boy, Alabama and, Alabama, Alabama and Clemson in a title game again. Uh, that would be unbelievable. It would be. It would be unbelievable, And but I think Auburn's got a lot to say about that, and so do some other teams out there. Oklahoma's playing TCU in the Big 12 championship game. Does Oklahoma have to win this to get in, or do you feel like Oklahoma's done enough? That's another good question. Uh, Baker Mansfield, I don't think, can be stopped. Um, TCU, of course, has got a good offensive coach. Actually, he was one of the coaches that Florida wanted to talk to, but they snuffed that in a hurry and gave him a lot more money to stay at TCU. Uh, Oklahoma, again, very difficult to play this team. They play really, really fast. Uh, Baker Mansfield is going to keep this game going. I think he's a big-time quarterback, probably going to be a one or two uh, uh, draft pick, certainly going to win the Heisman Trophy. TCU, I don't know much about TCU. I never get to see him on down here too much. I just read about him. Uh, but I think Oklahoma wins this game and stays in the top four. If they lose it, a good chance that maybe Alabama could sneak in there too. So I look for Oklahoma to win this game over TCU. I'm looking at Oklahoma. I mean, the way that things are going right now and what we've discussed here in Papa Joe's Picks with Papa Joe, myself, Dan Tortora, inside of the morning menu on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, here to round out November on November 30th, live with you on MixLR dot com backslash wake up call dt if everything stands to reason the sec is trying to send two teams so oklahoma's got to win to secure themselves i think everybody outside of the sec has to win to secure themselves because the committee i think is going to find a way to squirrel in two of these teams and if if georgia beats auburn auburn's going to try and plead a case but it could open the door for for Alabama, like we said. If Auburn wins, people will still argue Alabama. So it's about taking care of business. I think Clemson's going to be okay. But then the other side of this is if every team's fighting for their life, and if the notion that I'm carrying is true, the Big Ten championship game, Ohio State, number eight. Number four, Wisconsin. Wisconsin hasn't lost a game. However, they didn't play any ranked teams until the end of the season. Now, they won some good games at the end of the year, Ohio State lost on the road to Iowa by a lot, by multiple touchdowns. Yet people are screaming for Ohio State. Why? Again, because they are the ex-girlfriend that you call at midnight. They've been to the college football playoff. Now, they, they were allowed in last year over Penn State, and they got completely embarrassed and annihilated by Clemson. So I feel like this year, why even consider it? But the Big Ten Championship is the last one to be played on Saturday, December 2nd of all the championship games. Does it come down to this? If Auburn, Georgia, whoever wins that game, as well as Oklahoma, let's say they win, Clemson wins, are we even looking at the Big Ten 
Or are we saying Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, sorry, Big Ten, there's no room for you? Oh, well, you're right. You bring up a good point. Uh, well, Ohio State losing two games certainly isn't going to help them. But Wisconsin, uh, of course, you know my family is from Milwaukee, and my brother-in-laws are screaming. You know, you guys don't give us any any credit for anything. But Wisconsin's undefeated. Uh, the more I see them and read about them, they play a lot faster than I thought some of the uh, uh, the northern teams play. You know, me being down here in the south, these teams down here love speed. Speed on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. And Wisconsin is playing a lot faster. I wouldn't be surprised if Wisconsin rolls over Ohio State easy. Uh, in my opinion, if you cannot keep a Wisconsin undefeated team out of the, out of the four if they beat Ohio State. It, it would be a travesty of justice if Wisconsin is eliminated, if they're even if they're undefeated. What do you think? I don't. I don't see the Big Ten as getting in. I can't put them in right now because I'm gonna. I'm gonna argue Auburn. Okay, I know that. I know that Auburn, as it stands right now, when we look at Auburn's record, I know that that they have two losses. I completely understand that they're ten and two. Okay, they may be the best two-loss team in the entire nation right now, and I would argue to say that they are. So, you know, if Auburn somehow loses to Georgia, I understand that there's, you know, how are you going to let a three-loss team into this thing? But you can argue Auburn up and down this because they're going to they they would split essentially with Georgia, and they would have beaten Alabama. So. Uh, when I look at this, I find it very, very difficult to not make a case for Auburn. I know that Clemson, I know Oklahoma, so I have those three. And then I'm sitting here saying to myself, do I let in Alabama? Do I allow them the opportunity? Now, if I do, they got to be four. Now, the way that my mentality works, they have to be four because Clemson, Oklahoma, if they win out, they're one-loss teams. Auburn's a two-loss team, but they beat Alabama. Alabama has to be number four and let them play. You know, when people, oh, you can't make Alabama the four seed. Screw that. Alabama, if they get in, they're not playing in their championship game. Every other team I mentioned is. So if that's the case, then reason, logic, tells us to put them at number four. And that's where I would put them. I don't think there's a place inside of this thing for the Big Ten. I don't think that it works. I think whether it's Georgia or Auburn that wins that game, unless Oklahoma loses to TCU and just falls completely out of favor with the committee, I don't see. I, I see Oklahoma as the only way for the big for the Big Ten to get into this thing because Ohio State was embarrassed by Oklahoma in Ohio State. Wisconsin hasn't been respected all year. Their schedule is not strong, and you can argue that with Alabama as well. Now, if Wisconsin wins and they're thirteen and zero. They might be the best 13-0 team to play a New Year's Day bowl game that may not get into this thing. I don't see any way you can argue Ohio State into this after losing to Oklahoma, losing on the road to Iowa. I think that it's OHIO country just trying to blow smoke up their own coolie because I feel like they want to get in and they, they think that they're deservedly so. But you know what? It must stink to be a Power 5 conference like the American and be playing a championship game with no hopes of getting in because there's another team called UCF that I can argue up and down Wisconsin, UCF, and yet they don't get any respect. So I think the Big Ten, they're playing for bragging rights in the Big Ten. They're playing for a good bowl game. 
but I don't think that either one of these teams has a snowball's chance in hell unless Oklahoma loses the game. Wow, that big talk. Um, didn't, didn't you say that this is the last game being played on Saturday evening? Is that correct? Yeah, they're gonna. it's going to be the last. So, I mean, they're going to have to watch all of these games. Now, Clemson's playing Miami at the same time, but they're going to see did Georgia win, did Auburn win, did Oklahoma win before this game is even played. Boy, it, it's very it, – it's possible that these, Wisconsin undefeated, playing at night, the results are in front of them, and even if they win, they can't get in. Well, that's um, – that's tough. That's tough for Wisconsin. But you can't say much. I mean, Ohio State's quarterback is hurt. I don't know if he's going to play. I didn't think. I don't think much of him anyway. Uh, I'm still mad at Urban Meyer for leaving Florida. So the heck with him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still like to see Wisconsin in, but you know you're correct in saying Auburn, Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama for the four. I mean, certainly that's the that's the sexy that's the sexiest pick. Uh, it's going to be hard. I I, I don't. That's tough for the, the committee to come up with something if, if Wisconsin loses. Uh, you know, thirteen and zero, undefeated, thirteen and zero might be the best thirteen and zero team than not get into the playoffs. You're right. Yeah, and on the other side of this thing, and I know that they're not going to jump up ten spots, but Central Florida is playing at Spectrum Stadium in Orlando. I will be on site at this game, which will be on ABC at noon Eastern time, Saturday, December 2nd. I will be there in my coverage in the American Athletic. And number 20 Memphis is taking on number 14 UCF at home at UCF. One of the best games played in rivalry week of college football of 130 teams was UCF and USF. It, it caused people to send me messages that didn't even know either one of these teams had a school before last week. So they love this game. Now, these are two good teams. Be combined, Memphis and UCF this season are 21-1. and one. The only loss that Memphis has is to UCF, which was a big-time loss, 40-13. to 13. UCF has gotten no credit for any of the work that they have done. So feel me, Wisconsin, it doesn't feel nice. Now, UCF is in a place right now where they have played games in and out of their conference that were, that were just like Wisconsin, where you could argue, well, Memphis was ranked, South Florida was ranked, it's hard to beat Navy on the road. So UCF and Wisconsin, if anything, should play each other in a New Year's Day Bowl to figure out who is the better team. I don't think anybody wants to play UCF. The committee is giving no respect to the American. It's time for a power six. You that voted on Twitter at CallDT overwhelmingly told me it is time for power six and to include the American, and to stop this Power 5 BS. The the reality is the College Football Playoff Committee said UCF was ranked 18th. The next week, 18th. The next week, 15. The next week, stay at 15. And then, God forbid, they put them one higher. They put them at 14 after defeating South Florida and Charlie Strong and a guy that should be a Heisman Trophy candidate in Quentin Flowers, and a guy that should be one on the other side in Mackenzie Milton with UCF. They are not getting the credit they deserve. They better damn well be playing in a Peach Bowl or something like that when all is said and done. But what do you think about this game, and what do you think about UCF? Because people can't seem to look outside of the Power Five, but if an undefeated team that's worked as hard as UCF did, the first team in history 
to go 0 and 12 and then 11 and 0 in two year time span. Nobody else has done it of 130 teams, including the SEC, Big 12, Pac 12, ACC, and Big 10. If the Power Five are the only conferences that matter in the college football playoff, then why be independent like Notre Dame? Why even be in FBS if you're the American? Don't things have to change? Because I think the American is is make is is making a case with UCF that you can argue against Ohio State, you can argue against Wisconsin. And the funny thing about this is that some people said the only thing that UCF is missing is a key loss or a quality loss. They don't have any losses. They only have wins. So if the Power Five is the only thing that matters in the college football playoff, then how can you even regard any... how, How can you find equality of 130 teams if teams like UCF will never get an opportunity? That's a a shame. Uh, You bring up a good point about Power Six. Uh, It would behoove these people to get together to make these decisions and say, look at the teams. Look at the Memphis. Look at the South South Florida. Look at Central Florida. I got a chance to watch Central Florida last week and play. And, And you've been tooting our horn all year long, and I agree with you. They are a very difficult team to play against. Uh, offensively, they're offensively. Flowers are certainly one of the better dual quarterbacks. Uh, wow. All I can say is wow. Uh, they really they got my attention real quick. And I, I uh, admit that you're, uh, you're right about that. And I think it's with uh, Coach Frost doing what he's doing with Central Florida. Boy, I'd like to see him play some of these teams that we're talking about. Uh, Coach Frost, of course, was one of the uh, coaches that was going to be up for the Florida job. Uh, from what I understand from my people is that they actually talked to Coach Frost's people, but it, it wasn't it wasn't fair. He was telling them it wasn't fair for for him to think about anything other than his his team. Uh, of course, if he lost last week, it would be a different story. But he's got a if he's going to undefeated. If he beats Memphis, he's still going to be undefeated. Then he's got a big bowl game. So no one's going to hire Scott Frost until he gets through with his team. He made that very, very, very clear. Uh, Central Florida is a real load. Uh, Memphis, too, I don't know who they played at the uh, beginning of the season, but they scored like some 54 or 58 points or something like that. Uh, these two teams are going to run up and down the field, probably not a lot of defense being played. Central Florida is very, very impressive, and the committee should look at this. And the rules committee uh, and the people that make these decisions should look at a power six because some of these teams are – very good and can beat the beat the teams that I have on my paper right here and when we look at uh, like you said like you brought up you know Scott Frost and and the great thing about Scott Frost is that from the moment that I've met him he's always been very real with me from the moment that we sat down when he accepted the job over Maryland and over Syracuse to go to Central Florida we sat down at a table and spoke to one another in Rhode Island during the American Athletic Conference kickoff. And the opportunity that we had to speak to one another was extremely meaningful to me. And from that moment on to where we stand right now, he has been transparent, I feel. And I love the fact that there was a report that came out that was like, oh, his people are doing this and his people are doing that. And he said, I'm my people and I'm with my wife and my newborn son. And I I thought that that was so powerful that he said something like that, and that he's not afraid to. And, and I think the thing is, you know, if you're Nebraska, how long do you wait? 
because, you know, the, the people are going to get a little bit antsy. And UCF has already defeated Memphis. They're playing at home. There's a there's a chance, there's a good opportunity they will be 12-0. and Could have been 13-0 and if not for Hurricane Irma. And then they're going to have an amazing bowl game. So it's going to be January 2nd, 5th, whatever, before there's a conversation between Nebraska and Scott Frost on definitely making a switch. Now, here's my thing. At that point, with the early signing period now, and with National Signing Day, you're giving yourself less than a month for Scott Frost to go to Nebraska and to corral this team. Even if you have this deal behind closed doors of, hey, no matter what happens, I'm coming to Nebraska, you can't recruit and you can't do anything until you're done with the season. So the best thing to happen to UCF is that they keep winning because the longer they win, Nebraska is going to essentially run out of time. Nebraska is in a terrible situation. Uh, it's not, to me, it's not a desirable job. Uh, but him, you know, Scott Frost being a quarterback, I think he played quarterback for three years for Nebraska. Of course, it's tugging on his heartstrings. Uh, but uh, he must be sitting there vacillating as we speak. You know, God, I hope Nebraska doesn't call. I got to take care of my kids in UCS. Oh, maybe I should go to Nebraska. Oh, I got to take care of my kids at UCF. Uh, terrible situation. Nebraska. Nebraska needs to do something quick. And I can only refer the the Nebraska AD, AD to the Florida AD who said, listen, I'm not messing around. If uh, I didn't get the good vibes from Chip Kelly, I went, I moved on quickly. And then he went to Mullen. So I think Nebraska is the same situation. Put some feelers out there. If Scott Frost is not going to make a decision, and thank God he's not because he's a wonderful man, wonderful coach, he's got a great team. If, if Nebraska can't wait, then they need to pull the trigger on someone else. Mississippi State hired a offensive quarter, quarterback or offensive coordinator from uh, Penn State to take over the Mississippi State job already. That didn't take long. Three or four days, Mississippi State pulled the, pulled the trigger. Nebraska has to do that. They have to find someone who wants to take over that program and get those beefy old Nebraska guys, those farm guys, to start mowing away some, some defensive linemen. So... They're in a terrible situation, and I agree with you. I think they need to pull, a, pull a, uh, the trigger quickly here because Scott Frost is determined uh, to stay at UCF and finish his deal. Now, the crazy thing about this, as I'm looking at it right now, and this is why I love being on live radio, uh, Nebraska reportedly set to announce Scott Frost is their head coach on Saturday. There's people that are waiting for Scott Frost's arrival and hoping that he'll he'll show up on a plane, you know. There's there's uh, the Husker Hounds. There's a thing that says "Come home, Scott Frost." Uh, it says Nebraska Frost Advisory Restore Glory. May the frost be with you. I mean, the, these people are selling T-shirts right now. It, it it's it's crazy. And now Scott Frost said. Uh, quote, I'd be hurt if Nebraska wasn't interested in me. We're undefeated, and I'm from there. When you win, a lot of people are interested in you. And then he said, I'm just not going to talk about it. All I want to talk about is this 2017 football team, end quote. So, you know, it's been this back and forth because he was the quarterback in Nebraska, and it's always been, you know, is he going to go back? Is he going to go back? Is this going to be the place you know, fans are hoping for this. They're expecting this. I mean, I'm sitting, I'm going to be sitting at a press conference 
at this game and whether UCF wins or loses, is Scott Frost going to stand right in front of me and say I'm going to Nebraska? I mean, it's it's really crazy where we stand. I mean, fans at games were putting Burr, Frost is coming. I mean, they were asking for Scott Frost during the season with absolutely no respect for their head coach at the time. So, you know, they're, they're saying that the deal could be seven years, $35 million, which is $5 million a year. But, you know, there's been conversation before about Nebraska being a done deal, and Scott said it's not. So, I mean, how much do you put weight into what people are saying? Because he is, he's not, he is, he's not. What do you think? Well, the same situation what we had down here. Uh, they already had Chip Kelly moving into an apartment, getting off a plane, stocking up the office. He's already moved into Florida. <laughs> and really, he wasn't even thought of that much. Uh, tough situation. But, you know, if Central Florida does lose this game, then there is a chance that Nebraska could get him. And uh, Central Florida would have to have one of their coordinators uh, as the coach for a bowl game. Um, certainly, if, if Central Florida loses the game, they'd be 11-1. and one. And, you know, the coach isn't go- he, may wanna, he may not want to stick around for that. You may want to go to Nebraska. Nebraska is in a terrible situation. Uh, uh, they need to do it quickly, just like we try to do down here. If, if you're talking to a guy and you, you don't like the feeling, move off to someone else. Move off to someone else. You can't wait for this kid. Uh, if he loses on Saturday, that'll be the earliest that Nebraska can talk to him one-on-one if they want him to take the job. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's its crazy because it keeps going back and forth. And it, it's, you know, it really is. It's its who's saying what. Now, he hasn't said much other than the fact that he'd be hurt if Nebraska wasn't interested in him. But on the other side of this, Mike Norvell with Memphis, you know, his name has been brought up. With the coaching changes that have happened, Arizona State is still open. But there is now a rumor out there that Herm Edwards could leave the broadcasting side of things and return to coaching. He's still vivacious. He's still he's still so I mean he is so passionate when he talks about any game that I I feel I find it very hard that he wouldn't return to the sideline. Arkansas with Brett Belima is still looking for a head coach after firing him. Florida has Dan Mullen, Georgia Southern has Chad Lunsford, Kent State Paul Haynes, nobody after him. Mississippi, Hugh Freeze is out. Matt Luke is in, and he's staying. You know he's going to be staying in here. Mississippi State, Dan Mullen is out. Joe Moorhead in. Nebraska, Mike Riley out. That's a question mark we were just talking about. Oregon State has hired Jonathan Smith after Gary Anderson goes out. Rice, South Alabama still looking for somebody. UTEP, UCLA obviously hired Chip Kelly after firing Jim Mora. We saw the writing on the wall for Kevin Sumlin a couple weeks into the season, Papa Joe. And then the most crazy, crazy, insane moment of college football history in recent times was Butch Jones getting fired. Not that, but the fact that Greg Schiano, right after Thanksgiving, is going to be announced as the head coach, and then a bunch of people get on Twitter, and a bunch of people blog on the internet, and Tennessee runs away into a corner of sheer terror that people on the internet 
could be trolling them and not liking their pick, and they back away from Greg Schiano when the internet told them to do so. Thoughts on one of the dumbest, ridiculous hirings that never was, where people were claiming that Greg Schiano was an accomplice in child rape. That's, that's impossible. They're dolts at, at Tennessee. You know, in our language, they, they don't have any couillons. You know? <laughs> they, Greg Schiano was a fine man, a fine coach. He had nothing to do with that stuff at Penn State. Come on, people. In the Tennessee, of the, the, the Tennessee people that make these decisions, afraid of the afraid of the look what's happening across the country with the sexual uh, harassment stuff. You know, people are getting fired left and right, big names, and now they're keeping a guy who's genuinely a good, nice man, won everywhere he's done, did a great job with the Rutgers program. He deserved that job, and frankly, I would sue. I would sue Tennessee for defamation of character. That's what I would do. And, and, you know, it, but it's it, it was such a crazy, crazy, crazy turn of events for Greg Schiano. He's about to be announced. Then there's supposed to be a memorandum of understanding who signed it, who didn't sign it. But the, I mean, and, and the crazy thing about this was there's picketers on, it's like pitchforks and torches. It looked like they were going up to the Beast house in the movie Beauty and the Beast. The, the Tennessee had lost, and here's the thing, though. And I said this, and I heard it on Colin Coward's show yesterday, and I love the fact that somebody agreed with me on this point. Who in the hell would want to accept a job from Tennessee right now knowing that if they burp, if they pick their nose, if they wear the wrong t-shirt, if they lose their first two games, if they don't find their wife attractive, if they don't think that they have the right hairline, or they're tall enough, or they don't like the pigment of their skin, that they could say no more. Tennessee has shown that they have no backbone. Why in Sam hell would you want to be a person who would dedicate your family, your time, your energy, and your life to a school that in five seconds could hear a bunch of people screaming on the internet and run for sheer terror? It's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the college football. Certainly it's embarrassing to Tennessee. I don't know how rashly they made this decision. Uh, you could say uh, the same thing about uh, this young man coming from Penn State to take over the Mississippi State job. He's from Penn State, offensive coordinator, there for three or four years ago. Maybe he wasn't back then uh, affiliated with the team when this was going on, all the sexual stuff was going on. Uh, it's embarrassing. It, uh, I really don't even like to talk about it. It's loathsome. Uh, you're right. Who in the hell would want that job? Um, uh, they're going to find, they're probably going to find some uh, mid-major offensive guru somewhere who's going to want to just take the job and maybe springboard to something else. Uh, it's terrible. Daniel, there's no answer for that. And uh, Tennessee, of course, they're getting killed in the tabloids down here. Uh, it's hard enough to win in the SEC, uh, except when you do something like that. I mean, who, who wants to come in and coach against the Sabins and things like that? I'm looking for Les Miles to take a job somewhere. I don't think he'd want that job either. No, I don't think <laughs> I don't I don't think any I don't think that my dog Lily would take the job at Tennessee right now. 
So I think I think what Tennessee just did was secure themselves. You know, people didn't like Butch Jones. Well, guess what? You know what I don't like more than a coach that maybe he doesn't win, okay? And that's upsetting and it's frustrating. But what I don't like is when an institution listens to a bunch of no names on the internet. Big Booty 56, Mr. Rogers 23, telling you that you better figure out another head coach. And Tennessee goes, oh my God, refresh the page. Oh, there's 17 comments? Refresh it. There's 200? Oh my, there's 1,000? Well, we need to make another decision. You just let, yeah, and, and the thing is, and this, and I understand, people care about their fan base. People care, and I understand that. But if I, every day before I came on the show, asked everybody what I should talk about and how I should talk about it, it would change every day And because people get fickle about certain things. If I put out to the community, tell me what to talk about and tell me what to do, you own the show. I don't. I am just a walking puppet. Congratulations to the University of Tennessee. You are the puppet of your fan base. Oh, my gosh. You know, Florida decided to kill the ouster coach in the middle of the the season. Tennessee did the same thing. The only thing I can say about Tennessee is they weren't prepared for this. If you want to get rid of your coach in the middle of the season – that's okay, but have a backup plan, you know? Have something ready. Florida had something ready. They knew Dan, Dan Muller was going to come to, the, to take the job. Tennessee looks even worse now because they simply were not prepared after they terminated that coach. So the real question before I let you go, Papa Joe, is will FSU win their 12th game that they put on their schedule and find a way to be in – to the I mean, they they didn't want to lose the bowl season. They have a record of consecutive bowl games that they've been to. They're five and six. Every team in the state of Florida played eleven games. You know, when we look up and down the schedules, everybody lost a game. But Florida State has an opportunity with a December. So during Championship Week, Florida State's not playing in the ACC Championship, but they are playing a very compelling, difficult, and tough game against Louisiana Monroe in Tallahassee. <laughs> What are your thoughts on Florida State playing this game in hopes of getting into the bowl season? Uh, are we talking about half ass you? <laughs> we are, aren't we? Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, big talk down here in the papers, ball of papers, Tallahassee, uh, Florida, uh, Orlando, Jacksonville, uh, wanting Jimbo Fisher to make a decision about the Texas A&M job. I don't know if Texas A&M has contacted. Certainly, they probably have. Uh, but there's a lot of talk down here that Jimbo, uh, because he's not saying anything, is not showing any loyalty to FSU after what they've been paying him. I mean, the man deserves as much money as he can get, certainly. Uh, he's proven that he can coach, uh, even though I hate to admit it that he's, he's whooped us a, four times in a row, I think, now. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, I don't I don't know. I said, I've said this before a couple of weeks ago. I don't think that Jimbo Fisher wants to get into the – to the uh, SEC and get his butt beat half the time if he's not prepared. Uh, I look for him maybe to stay there at, at, at Florida State. Uh, certainly, uh, let's put it this way. Florida State would probably be the best 6-6 six and six team that plays a bowl this year. That we can be sure of. Well, here and here is the fun. The, this is really funny to me because I dealt with this last year. Three coaches inside of the American Athletic Conference signed contract extensions in the December prior to, and they were Matt Rule at Temple, Tom Herman at Houston, and Willie Taggart at US uh, at USF. 
they all signed contract extensions around the exact same time in December, and every single one of them took a new job somewhere else. So the funny thing about contracts in college football, they don't mean anything. Or in, co- or in collegiate athletics in general, Fisher agreed to a contract extension in December 2016. That's why I bring this up. His increased annual salary is about $5.7 million a year. He's the sixth highest paid coach in the FBS of 130 coaches. Now, if he allegedly takes a job at Texas A&M, the claim is that they would be paying him $7 million a year, which is above Dabo Sweeney and Clemson's average of $6.75 million, and it is just below the $8.27 million average of Nick Saban per year. So he would be the second highest paid coach in college football in the entire nation. But this brings up the question, why sign contract extensions? What is the point? When I This would be the fourth coach that I have seen firsthand from teams I cover every day that would not be there. Well, that's an easy question to answer is because they have a lot of outs in their language. Uh, you can write the biggest contract you want for the most amount. The last possible uh, amendment you want to put on there is that I want an out clause in case something happens. I want to be able to, to you know, leave if I want to leave. Uh, I want to be able to leave and not pay you any money. I want to be able to leave and the school that I go to doesn't want to pay you any money. So they're looking for out clauses. Uh, that's all simply is. And and allegedly, if Jimbo was to take the job, he would owe the university $5 million or the total sum of the contracts of his 10 assistant coaches who aren't retained by the Seminoles' new coach. So there is an out clause, but it must be nice that when you want to go coach somewhere else, all you have to do is pay $5 million. And do you need, do you want me to just write it? Let me go make sure I got my check. You want me to write a check? So, I mean, it's it's crazy to me. Oh, just five mil? Just a cool five mil. That's okay. So Florida State, and the, this is this is so funny because in my mind, I don't see Jimbo Fisher ever leaving Florida State, but you know, it's it's looking at the it's looking at the fact that the season they're five and six and they're trying to go six and six against Louisiana Monroe. Now I will tell you that before last weekend, seventy-four teams had punched their ticket of the eighty teams that will be in the postseason. So there's only six spots left. So Florida State better get this game in and get it in quick and then send that, you know, send go and send that flyer over to and remind, you know, the the NCAA world that there's an opportunity to have Florida State. Now, if they go six and six, which they most likely will, somebody will host them because it's Florida State and it'll sell tickets. And the game will probably be somewhere in Florida down or close in the South because a six and six Florida State team somehow deserves that amount of respect. I don't know why. But it could be Jimbo Fisher's last game in some people's minds, so you're going to sell tickets for that too with Florida State. I could never see him leaving. It was very slim to none. But seeing a team that's 5-6 and six trying to go 6-6 six and six, and the fan base pissing him off during the season, maybe, maybe this is like the perfect storm for Jimbo Fisher. I don't know. That's a good point. Uh, well, maybe he'll play in the Boise State uh, Bowl or something like that. You know, these kids down here don't like to get gold. So you're right. They're going to wind up playing a bowl in the south somewhere. They don't want to go up north and play gold. Uh, tough situation. Losing Louisiana Monroe, they're going to score 70 points for crying out loud. 
and somehow, you know, they'll call the Tax Slayer Bowl and say, hey, it's at Everbank Field in Jacksonville. It's the SEC versus the ACC, Big Ten, or Notre Dame. Wouldn't you love to see us on December 30th? Uh, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy world we live in. But as we said in the beginning, and we wrap back around to say again, teams have clout because certain names travel farther than others. Papa Joe, I appreciate and thank you for your time. We will inevitably have to continue this conversation as we go through bowl season because the stories, the Greg Schianos and the Jimbo Fishers, it, it's it's insane to me. I could do an entire comedy hour on just Greg Schiano in Tennessee. So I look forward to the opportunity of speaking with you again, and I appreciate your time. Okay, I'll see you. Take care. Maybe this weekend. Yeah, no, maybe bye this bye. weekend. Take care. That coming from Papa Joe in Papa Joe's Picks. And we we made some selections in this. We spent a lot of time talking about the college football playoff, what's right, what's wrong, in our opinion. And the you know, I'm gonna have to write a story about it and put it up on wakeupcalldt.com on the right now page. I'm gonna write my path of of four different you know, of of the four spots to the college football playoff because you know, we talked about it on today's show and it got my wheels turning in my brain and I need to write my thoughts on paper and let you read it. And, you know, we'll see how right I am or wrong I am. I mean, the committee at the end of the day is going to do whatever the heck they want to do. But it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen as we move forward. And I want to write a story about it, so I'm going to. There you go, folks. Now, I'm going to give you my thoughts. Uh, and, and, and we obviously, uh, I want to make another note with Papa Joe and myself. We spent a lot of time speaking on the coaches and the coaching carousel. And the whole, is Nebraska going to get Scott Frost or not? You know, people are printing out jerseys, they have coasters, and this, that, and the other, and people are making signs, and they're hoping and praying, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's up to Scott, and he just had a newborn baby, his son, and he's got his wife there, he's in a hotbed of recruiting, he's in the center of arguably the best recruiting state in the country, so why leave? The argument is, well, he used to play at Nebraska. The other argument is people desperately want him, so the fan base is not like the Tennessee fan base to Greg Schiano. The third point is the fact that Scott Frost is in the American Athletic and his team is undefeated and he's seen them get no respect. So it can actually work against Central Florida, that the American is not respected in the in the college football playoff rankings. Because he could be sitting there saying, you know what? What if I go undefeated next year? Am I just going to be the coach that never gets to play for a national championship? That's another thing. But going to Nebraska, are you really going to play for a national championship anytime soon? So, you know, that's another question. But, devil's advocate, UCF was 0-12. Now they're 11-0 playing in the first ever AAC championship game, so why couldn't he do it with Nebraska? So it goes back and forth. But I think a huge thing that that the American has no control over is the conversation of Power 5 and Power 6. Because it's Power 5 and not considered Power 6, and because the college football playoff committee only care about the Power 5 and Notre Dame, there is the notion that the committee is actually hurting Scott Frost staying in Central Florida. And I'm going to argue that point in the article that I write as well. So make sure you go to the Right Now page later on today to read those articles because I'm super pumped about writing them. We'll take a step aside here on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora for a fast break. We will come back with my thoughts on Thursday Night Football, fantasy football advice for you, 
and through the looking glass, a deeper look at a trending topic in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. The name Leeson Staggerwald is synonymous with Central New York with over 80 years of service to the community. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown is your butcher, grocery, pub, and deli located on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Minutes from the Carrier Dome in your perfect pre-gaming headquarters with Rob Drummond and myself, Dan Tortora, two hours before home games. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown, where you can dine in, take out, pre-game up on the hill with their meats or pre-game inside their walls. Lee's and Staggerwald downtown, a unique experience for every single fan and every member of the community with over eight decades of service. They're open Monday from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m., Tuesday through Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 8 p.m., Friday 10.30 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday noon to 9 p.m., and closed on Sunday on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DreisigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. The Pennant Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Pennant Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Penn and Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. With Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory, find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. Utica Pizza Company spells family. Your family. My family their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say these Utica Greens, they're the best. Utica Pizza Company Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcall.com. 
DT, happy to be here on the broadcast, and thank you so much for tuning in to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time right here on MixLR.com backslash Wake Up Call DT. Thank you for being a part of the show. And thank you for being a part of the show 24-7 by becoming a member, subscribing on WakeUpCallDT.com's homepage, and for being a part of Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, liking that page, and following me on Twitter at CallDT, C-A-L-L-D-T, and on Instagram at WakeUpCall underscore DT. So thank you for all you do, and thank you for being a part of it. It truly means the world to me. I cannot thank you enough for it. And I appreciate it much. So God bless and shout out to you for being awesome. With that being said, we're here to the next part of the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. It is time for me to give you my fantasy football advice. We do it every Friday on Fantasy Football Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We're in week 13 of the NFL, and I'm very excited to bring to you Fantasy Football Friday. It means, it means a lot to me every single week with Mike Sofka of Hall of Fame Fantasy Football. But with it being a Friday show, we talk about Sunday and Monday. Well, we can't forget about Thursday. So every Thursday before we end the show, I'm proud to bring you my fantasy football advice presented by the Wildcat Sports Pub, your home for fantasy football at 3680 Milton Avenue in Camillus, New York. It is amazing. It is fun. It is fantasy football in a beautiful way because the food is great, the house wing sauce, the boneless wings, so many things on a menu that you could literally get something different for almost all 52 weeks of the year. It's a family-friendly sports bar, which is unheard of, but they make it happen. It's a perfect marriage to bring the kids, to bring the family, to hang out with the boys, hang out with the girls, have a good time, surrounded by TVs all around the building and the opportunity to watch every single game including Washington and Dallas, which is coming up tonight. Washington Redskins at the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas got the best of Washington 33-19 last time. However, they had Ezekiel Elliott. And as you know, the Cowboys are terrible without him because his complaining and his moaning and his appealing 752 times only led to the Cowboys losing their workhorse at the most inopportune time of the season. He cannot return until week 16, and the Cowboys are probably going to be out of it by then because the Redskins are 5-6, and six, and the Cowboys are 5-6, and six, and the Redskins are behind the Cowboys due to the tie-breaking loss to them. If they beat them tonight in Dallas, which I think they will, they will be 6-6, six and six, and have an opportunity to jump the Cowboys in the playoff hunt and be chasing Philadelphia, who nobody's going to catch up with in the NFC East, in my opinion. But the Skins tonight can have an opportunity to stay alive in the reality of the NFL playoffs. In fantasy world, you're stepping into your fantasy playoffs either in week 13 or 14. So it's either happening right now or a week from now. So to listen to advice has never become more important and more evident for you. So I hope you've been listening all season. I thank you for listening right now. Now, Zach Martin, the guard on the line for the Cowboys, is questionable after suffering a concussion. This is big because Tyron Smith is questionable as well on the offensive line. Sean Lee is out. And as I've said numerous times, people focus on Ezekiel Elliott, Des Bryant, now Dak Prescott, the offensive line of the Cowboys. Well, guess what? Sean Lee, when he's not on the field for the Cowboys, has been the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. He's out once again. 
that is a terrible sign for the Cowboys. On the other side of it for the Washington Redskins, their injury report has on it Jordan Reed, who's still out, which means that the backup tight ends become ever more important. Nobody else on the list for you from that standpoint. Samaj Perine is a good player to play. Mike and I both said that he would eventually get his chance this year. We thought it was going to be sooner than later. Well, guess what? He's been putting in the work later. We thought it would be week five, week six, week eight. It's been happening in the last couple weeks that he's gotten over 100 yards on the ground. Samaj Perine, put him out there and give him an opportunity. If you don't have him, go get him. He may, he may be out there. He's probably not. You might have to make a trade, but he's worth the play. So is Kirk Cousins and Jamison Crowder of this team. Ryan Grant, if you need a wide receiver three or four, a flex position guy, not a bad guy to throw out there and give an opportunity to. Vernon Davis, you got to dig deep, but he is playing the Cowboys, and without Sean Lee in the middle, that's going to open up some space for the tight end. So look to him to do some things, maybe get a touchdown tonight. So he is a mid mid to high-end tight end two, I would say, in this game. For the Dallas Cowboys, Des Bryant, it's hard to keep him off. He's a high-end wide receiver three for me this week, though. And as far as the rushing attack, Rod Smith, he's a flex player if you desperately need somebody due to injury. But I really don't like anybody on the Cowboys in this game. Dak Prescott's a low-end quarterback, too. I just don't feel good about the Cowboys. I think that this is the Redskins game to win, and I think that fantasy-wise, the Redskins are going to do some good things for you tonight, and that's where I stand on it. We'll take our final fast break of the show and come back with Through the Looking Glass, a deeper look at a trending topic. What will it be? Find out in a moment. This is a wake-up call fast break. Hi, this is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or a wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Happy to have you here on the broadcast, and thank you so much for tuning in 
to today's show and every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Tomorrow's show is going to be broadcast from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. We're going to put a big focus on fantasy football tomorrow. We will not be on the first hour, but we may extend out. So we may do the show backwards. I may do fantasy football, then the annoying moment of the week and sound bites of the week. So bear with me on tomorrow's broadcast. We had to change it up a little bit with travel schedule and a bunch of stuff going on in my coverage of championship week and all that good stuff. So we will start tomorrow's show at 10 a.m. So make a note, it's not 9 for tomorrow only. We're going to start at 10 a.m. So just make a note of that here on MixLR.com backslash DT. If you're a member of MixLR.com backslash DT, you don't have to worry about anything. Because if you're a member, you'll be emailed as soon as the show goes live. So make sure you become a member today. Final topic of every Thursday broadcast is Through the Looking Glass, proudly brought to you by Looking Glass Events, the event planning company that's not a if you should call, it's a when you should call. And that time is right now. 315-702-4653. And and as we're, I mean, it's sunny outside today, but as we're heading into winter, this is a great time to call to get everything set up. You want to get ahead of the game. Get ahead of everybody. If you have an event coming up next year in August, September, November, June, April, Now is the time to call. You want to get it set up, whether it's your wedding, your anniversary, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, if you have a sporting event going on, if you have a festival going on, whatever you're going to be doing, now is the time to call because you want to make sure that you lock in Kira now. She has a very busy schedule. She does work all over the state of New York. The time to call is right now. 315-702-4653. That is 315-702-4653. 702-4653. Do not waste a second and call her now. A deeper look at a trending topic through the looking glass, proudly brought to you by Looking Glass Events, is my thought on two things, healthcare and tax cuts. I cannot be more transparent than this. Folks, we are the American people. The Constitution was written for us. We the people. It is us. We have the rights. So, Let me make something very clear. When you go to a voting booth, yes, it matters, but it matters all year long. We cannot stand this. If we all pick it on the steps of City Hall in every city everywhere, they're going to have to make a decision. I don't want war. I don't want bloodshed. I don't want violence. I don't want hatred spread. I want good people banding together for a common cause. And that is to tell our government that we will not stand for the middle class, which I am a part of, suffering anymore. If somebody is sitting at home on their behind that is capable of working, has all their fingers, all their toes, coherence and ability to work, and they decided that they don't want to because they would love to stay on welfare and have somebody else take care of them, it is time to get those people out of their house. There are people on welfare that welfare was built for, people who cannot work, people who need help, people who have an intellectual, whether it's an intellectual disability or, you know, Whatever it may be, if somebody has to be at home because of some disability, I understand that. But if your disability, if your crutch is just using the government to your advantage, you need to get your butt to work. We need to vet the system better and get people to work because paying for people is not something I want to do anymore when you're sitting at, and I have met people that have said to my face, I know the system is broken. I know I'm using it, but I have no desire to change it because why should I? The government told me if I have another kid, they're going to increase my monthly check. So I had another kid. I had someone say that to my face. 
and in central New York, that those days have to be over. Rich people having to take care of the world, that has to be over too. Well, you have more money, so spend more. Now, I'm not a fan of the middle class having to do more than the rich class, but what I will say is the day that I am rich, the day that I have whatever amount of money and this, that, and the other, I don't want to take care of anybody else. I fought hard to get there, so I don't want to take care of anybody else. You should have to take care of, in a society that's a democracy, you should have to take care of yourself and your family and maybe give to, to a charity. Yourself, your family, charity. You should not be taking care of people all over this country. Now, where the dicey part gets in is what if somebody needs help with their cancer bills to keep them alive? Should there be a pool where we can help a stranger to survive cancer, to live beyond cancer, to make sure that their life is not held short by cancer or HIV or whatever it may be? Yes, I believe we should help one another, but that's the dicey area where we have to sit down and the verbiage has to make sense because I don't want to pay for somebody's abortion in California. I don't want to pay for someone's birth control in Texas, and, I, and I'm not saying I'm against or for either one. I'm saying those decisions have nothing to do with me. I don't want to pay for someone's boob job somewhere, but if somebody has cancer, yes, I want to help. Yes, I do, and there has to be a means and a percentage that makes sense of how we can do that. Healthcare. As a business owner, I have had to fight and figure out Obamacare for the past, I don't know, four or five years. There was a time where I called the New York State of Health and talked to five different people who gave me five different prices and five different plans and told me that those were the ones that I was eligible for. Every time I called back, the price got higher. I spoke to someone in the healthcare industry last year about my insurance who worked at one of the institutions that was under my insurance, and she said, she laughed, and she said, if you think you don't understand it, she said, Dan, we don't understand it either, and we're learning just like you are. It doesn't make sense to us either. When somebody in a hospital or a doctor's office tells you that insurance makes no sense to them, that is where it has become laughable and a joke. We need to be smarter, we need to be better. When I woke up this morning, the things trending on Twitter had to do with tax cuts. Yesterday, healthcare. I am speaking to you in the community on a daily basis about this. I'm speaking to the American people and I'm not running for president. I'm speaking to the American people and I'm not the mayor of Syracuse. I'm not the governor of New York. I am not the comptroller. I'm not the the whatever of what, I'm not, I'm not housing and development, none of that. I'm just a human asking other human beings if they're going through the garbage that I'm going through as a business owner. Business owners drive this country. Our, our fortitude, our desire, our passion, our determination, our perseverance, our hard work is what creates companies for people to work at so that they can make a life for their family. We are the backbone of America. And what do you do to a backbone when you put Weights upon weights upon weights on it. You destroy the body. We are the backbone of this country that has been carrying weight to the point where our feet hurt, our legs hurt, our hip hurts, our back hurts. We are tired. Just like a human being cannot have anvils put on their backbone, so can we as the backbone of this country, the Middle East, have any type in the Middle East, the middle class, pardon me if I said the Middle East, that's been on my mind too lately. As the middle class, 
our backbone is hurting. And before it breaks, we need to do something about it. Write to your lawmakers. Write to your governors, your mayors, your senators, your congresspeople, the president. Write, write, write. And then band together and stand on the steps of City Hall and be patient. Be kind. Be peaceful. And only peaceful. But do something about it. Because I have not had a good conversation about money and healthcare with anybody in this country for a very long time. And that concerns me. So a deeper look at a trending topic. Well, you know what's trending sometimes? The Kardashians. You know what else is trending? Football coaches. You know what else is trending? Stupid garbage. But what do I hear about? Almost every day and definitely every week. People are sick and tired of being sick and tired. When it comes to money being taken out of their wallet and confusion with the safety and health of their family. So I will stand here with you today with no politics, no Democrat, no Republican, no independent party, just truth. We need to make a change. This is our country. The middle class is the backbone of this country. It's time that we stand up straight, take the anvils off our backs and say no more. I love you all. God bless you all. And I will talk with you tomorrow at 10 a.m. The time to make a change was yesterday. So get on your feet and let's make it happen. Be good to one another. I can't wait to see you out tonight at Muddy Waters, 2 Oswego Street, Baldwinsville, New York. Come and hang out. It's game show night. Nobody's doing it. It is totally different. It's a total change. It's not trivia. It is a new breed of a night out in central and upstate New York. It's at Muddy Waters. It's so much fun. To Oswego Street, Baldwinsville, New York, 7 p.m. tonight and every Thursday night. We will see you for our end of November game show night right there at 7 p.m. at Muddy Waters tonight where Pictionary meets Family Feud in a game that ensues that is inevitably exciting, makes you think, is a lot of fun, and you can play with your team. Bring up to six people per team. If you bring more, then form two teams and have a shot to win the grand prize every single week twice fold or three times fold depending on how many people you choose to bring there is no limit on how many teams can play so bring your friends bring your family and let's go have a good time at muddy waters tonight at 7 p.m call 315-635-8500 to make your reservation right now that's 315-635-8500 and i will see you for game show night tonight and thank you so much for all that you have done in this community. I love you. God bless you. I'm fired up. But I, like I said, it has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with safety and concern for us, for our children, for our grandchildren. I'm a business owner and I work my posterior off. I don't do that to help out somebody else. I do it to help myself. I do it to help my family. And I want to be able to choose where my money goes. If I want to help cancer, I'm going to do it. If I want to help abuse children, I'm going to do it. If I want to help Puerto Rico, then I'm going to do it. But I do not believe that the power that is held over us right now is fair, nor is it kind. And we can do better. I love you all, and I'll talk to you soon.